So before we had instant communication, people communicated by taking letters or by heralds or couriers. One of the most famous is a guy named Pheidippides, 490 B.C., the Battle of Marathon, one of the key events in Western civilization when the Greeks repulsed the Persians and the they fought at a place called Marathon, and some 25 and a half miles out away from Marathon was the city of Athens. The city was gathered together anxiously, awaiting to hear something about the battle. Either they would go on strong as a city-state, or they would be engulfed by the Persians. And there's a man named Pheidippides who said, I, I, want to take, I want to take the message. But rumor tells us that Pheidippides had already run as a courier 150 miles the, the two previous days. So he was kind of spent, but he said, I want to have the honor and so he ran the 25 miles with all of his might. And he, he, the rumor goes he fell before the city council with everyone attending. And he said, Nikelman, or we conquer. Nike, Nikelman. And he died. So that's a courier. We have the same thing in the New Testament. Paul was very concerned about the church at Thessalonica. He had heard some stories and some issues, some rumors. And so he says this in chapter 3. He says, for this reason, verse 5, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you and our efforts might have been useless. But Timothy has just come now to us from you and he has brought good news about your faith and your love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. Therefore, brothers... In all of our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now, we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. It says, amen, we, 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 you're standing firm in the Lord. We, we are happy, we rejoice. But we've heard this report from, from Timothy. But, but part, part of that, many people believe, was they also sent to Paul some questions. And so he had a, a part of the book where Paul is answering some of the questions that may have been submitted to him from Timothy coming back from the visit to the church at Thessalonica. One of the questions is a text we'll call, deal with this morning. It's just about, what about loving people? What about brotherly love? What about caring for people? And so we read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9 through 12. Now, now about brotherly love. Now, now about brotherly love that you mentioned, now about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia, yet we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your hands just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and that so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Now, this was a great church. He says in chapter 1, verse 3, I remember your, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love. He says in verse 4 and following that, that our, our gospel came to you not simply with words, but with, the power, with, with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with a deep conviction. It says, you become role models to all the churches throughout Asia Minor. And then he says, verse we just read a few minutes ago, and now we really live because you're standing firm in the Lord. This was a very good church. This is an outstanding church. Some people call this Paul's favorite church. And yet, and even 
wonderful churches that are going for it. We live in a world filled with battles and blessings. It's never perfect. And therefore, you've always got to make corrections, adjustments, deal with your own sin, deal with the sin in the body of Christ. And for example, last week we talked about the, the pagan sexuality that engulfed that part of the world. And, and how Paul says, if, if, if you reject God's standards for purity, you're not rejecting man. You're rejecting God who gives you his Holy Spirit. He says, and in this area, he says, make sure that you don't defraud or abuse anybody by sexual license. So, so he had to address the issue of sexual libertines. There was probably a whispering campaign among some of the people about, can we really trust Paul and the apostles? We know that. Or can we trust the local church leaders? So he says in chapter 5, in, in verse 12, he says, he says, now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you or correct you. Hold them in highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. In other words, respect those who correct you and teach you and lead you, the elders. And then there, you always have people in the church that have misconceived ideas and have to be corrected. And he says, and, and he says this, he says, and we, we urge you, brothers, verse 15, warn those who are idle. Uh, encourage the timid and help the weak. Be patient with everyone. So there are idle people among you, you know, tell, tell them to get with the program. It says, encourage the timid. They're just kind of beat down. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. So there's always this, this need for, for correction and, and, and adjustments. And, and in the midst of all this, he says this, I, I urge you, brothers, I urge you to love more and more. Be, be known as a church that that loves. Now, a few things about love. First of all, love is the mark of a Christian. John 13, Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I've loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. How do you know you're a disciple of Jesus? How do you know you're truly regenerate, saved? You love. You love. You're kind. First John chapter 4, John's answering this very issue. How do you know you're a believer? First John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. says this, it says, Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not know God, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Pretty, that's a strong statement. One of the tests of saving faith is, do I love the people of God? And, and our, our pattern for love is the life of Christ. Because Paul says in Philippians 2, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And before that, he says, do, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility, in humility, Count the other man as being more important than yourself. Wow. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And the question is, where do we go for that pattern? He says, your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. And and see, to me, as we look at this issue, as we breeze through this very quick, the, the focal point of love is who 
Christ is and what he has done for us. I, I get that from, from 1 Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 2, or chapter 1, it says this, verse 22. Since, in, since then you have in obedience to the truth, the, the truth is in the previous section was the rich reality of the cross of Christ. Since you have in obedience to the truth, purified your hearts for a sincere love of the brothers. Love one another deeply from the heart. For, for, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all men, he quotes the Old Testament, all men are like grass and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this was the word that was preached to you. Then he says, therefore, because the greatness of Christ, because of the glory of your salvation, get rid of all malice and guile and hypocrisy and envy and slander. And like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word. So, 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 so the focal point of love is the rich reality of who Jesus is. And, and Paul says, I urge you, I urge you, loving church. And the word is urge. It means to plead, beseech, beg. It's a strong word. He doesn't say, hey man, love each other. He says, I urge you, I plead with you, I, I, I beseech you with all of my heart, love each other more and more and more. He says, you're a loving church, but do it more. And the question is, why, why would Paul say that? Here's, I, I believe the answer is, that which is not at the forefront of our mind and our thinking and our prayers slips. If we don't get up in the morning and say, God, I am yours by the work of Christ, I am to glorify you with my body and to enjoy you forever. I'm to glorify you with my mind, in my job, in my home, in my relationships, and enjoy you forever. If I don't have that at the forefront, it will slip. And so we need to step back every day and say, am I living a life that speaks of the love of Jesus in me? And so Paul says, loving church, I, I urge you, I plead with you, do this more and more and more. But he starts off with this little statement. I love this. You yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. I just love that. The Holy Spirit has taught us through the apostolic message, through the Word of God, to love each other. You see, taking the message of the apostles, we call it the Bible, it's not like learning a math equation. You know, you take calculus, you learn some equations, and you've got it down. This is a living document where the Holy Spirit takes this and inflames our hearts through the reading and prayer and study over it. Hebrews 4.12, the Word of God is living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. And it penetrates to the dividing of the soul and the spirit and the joints of the marrow and is it able, it's able to judge the thoughts and the intentions or the attitudes of the heart. It's not just... When you, when you deal with God, it's just not surface issues. It's your motivations. It's your inclinations. You're, you're taught of God. See, it, isn't it great to know people who know Jesus and, and you can go to sleep at night saying, you're teaching them, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, through the Word of God. You're teaching them. 
That's why I need the Bible in my life. Or, or James 1. But, but the man who looks intently, not casually, intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he's heard, but doing it, he will be blessed. Wow, I, I need the Scripture. I need to know it. I need to think through it, to memorize it, to meditate, to, to really say, God, judge the thoughts and intentions of my heart. But because when I, when I look at it and, and I want to do it and I respond to it, I'm blessed. See, I'm blessed. And, and that's, that's what I want. And that's why Paul says, do this more and more. You're, you're taught by God. And that's why there's a little quote I'm putting here by John Newton. You have to read five times to get it because, you know, he wrote it this in 1820 or so, or 1810, or well, he died in 1807, so he had to write it before them anyway. He, sa- he, says, he says here, he says, he was asked, what about disputable things, Pastor Newton? What about things that aren't, aren't clearly taught in the Bible? Like Paul dealt with in Romans 14, eating meat, drinking wine, whatever. What about it? He says this is, but by frequent prayer and close acquaintance with the scripture and by an habitual attention to the frame of our hearts, there is a certain delicacy of spiritual taste and discernment to be acquired. In other words, if you stay in the word, if you stay in prayer, if you think and you really worship God, you'll develop a spiritual taste that will guide you. And then he says this, last sentence, love is the clearest and most persuasive causist or rule of living. And when love to the Lord is in lively exercise and the rule of his word is in our eye, we seldom make great mistakes. Boom. <laughs> Amen. Now, when you're in the word and you're in prayer and you're in fellowship and you're crying out, God, speak to me. Go for it. That's why Paul says, you know, do this more and more and more. And and our prayer should be, Lord, teach me. Lord, make me more loving. Get me out of myself. And in this whole issue of, of the church and the church loving each other, do not forget the glory of the church gathered of knowing the brothers and sisters in Christ. I, I was doing this, and I thought about one of my favorite hymns by Newton. It's, it's entitled, Glorious Things of Thee Are Spoken. It is a great hymn. It goes like this, Glorious Things of Thee Are Spoken, Zion, City of Our God, He Whose Walls Cannot Be Shaken. He goes, but it just talks about the glory of the church gathered. And I, I did a, a YouTube search. I wish I could show you the, a live stream, but we couldn't do it. And, but, but it had some of these massive choirs standing up and singing that with, you know, a, a great orchestra. And, and they were just shaking the rafters, and it just moved. And then I, I clicked on a little church in England. This is their choir. And, and they sang glorious things of the earth spoken. And they sang it very badly. And, and I was watching that, and I was kind of, I thought, this is, this it really it was almost like a, uh, a Saturday Night Live skit. It was so bad. But as I was watching that, I, I thought about the quote from the Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. And I was moved. Let me just read part of it. It's in the bulletin. 
C.S. Lewis, this is supposedly letters written by a senior demon to a junior demon. Okay, so it's listening into the enemy's communication. He says, one of our greatest allies at the present is the church. And he says, I, I do not mean the church as we have seen her spread throughout all time and space, rooted in eternity, terrible as an army with banners. That, I confess, is a spectacle which makes our boldest tempters uneasy. Then he goes on and says this. When he gets to his pew and looks around and he sees just that selection of his neighbors whom he has heretofore avoided. (laughs) That's us. And he says, long down, says, you may know one of them, one of these people here, to be a great warrior on the enemy side. No matter. Your patient, thanks to our father below the devil, is a fool. Provided that any of those neighbors sing out of tune or have boots to squeak or double chins or odd clothes, the patient will easily believe that their religion must therefore be somehow ridiculous. That's true. I thought, God, God, forgive me for violating what you say about little King, little David, when he's a shepherd boy, when you rebuke Samuel and you say, Samuel, don't, don't look on his outward appearance. Don't look on the height of his stature. Come on, Samuel. For God sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. I think I have the two quotes and just didn't get into you. Yeah. There they are. We, we, listen, we had a great vacation Bible school. 800 kids, one, morning and night. Um, great. We, we do have problems. We, in that we have a wonderful children's pastor, but sometimes she scares me. <laughs> what, what a blessing, really, to have Steve Tuck here. Really, what a blessing. But I was walking around this week, and I was just, I was looking at people, and I, I just jotted down some names, and I won't name them, but just tell you about these people who, who, who there, there's a couple that I spend a little bit of time with this week. They celebrate their 53rd wedding anniversary on Friday. And they spent it teaching third graders in Bible school. I thought, you know, they look at the calendar, and he says, hey, hey, honey, or... 53rd anniversary is coming up. What do you want to do? Let's teach VBS. (laughs) Come on. A young guy walked around here who grew up in our church. He's a sophomore in college. He's a good-looking kid. Difficult major and just got home. He's going to a faraway city, this abandon of God called Pittsburgh. (laughs) But he, he comes home and, you know, he does VBS, but he doesn't do some of the fun stuff that I would like to do. He, he volunteers to be next to a special needs child from 8.30 to 12.15 every day. He can't, he can't be that far from him. Special needs child, a little boy, probably 12 years old or 11. I just, or, or two guys that I saw that I just love these guys. They're, they have their own business. And, you know, time is money. They close their offices in the morning and did their stuff in the afternoon. Because they want to teach their boys in vacation Bible school and show their boys that men love the Word of God. Or a man who went on our middle school trip this week to Spartanburg, took a week off of work. His kids are way beyond middle school years. 
not way beyond, but beyond. He went. I, I, I just think, you know, these are people that are warriors in the kingdom. It's incredible. Or think about going down the kitchen during VBS and seeing at least two women over 80 running up and down the hall with pictures of Kool-Aid and pretzels to take to kids so they can eat. I mean, I just, that's amazing to me. That's what the kingdom of God is. And, and that's what happens when people get hold of this thing about loving each other more and more and they have a, a God-saturated vision to do something for the kingdom. Wow. I just, so that happens every week, everywhere, all over the place here. But just this week, I just saw it amplified. Not just thank God. Just thank God. And then, and then he says this. So, so I urge you, brothers, a strong word. And then verse 11, make it your ambition. Make it your ambition. Strong word. Make it your, your desire. Make it your, your burning passion. See? Not just kind of, hey, man, if it's, no, make it your ambition. This is so much about godliness is, is ambition. First Timothy 6, but you, man of God, flee from these things. You flee. Or Matthew 11, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is advanced forcefully. Make it your ambition. You'll never float into godliness. You pursue it. You make it your ambition. Now, Father's Day, men, we need to be men who pursue God. Who make it your ambition to be godly. To stand in the gap and die for our families. To weep for them as we fight for them. Ambition. It says make it your ambition to to lead a quiet life. (laughs) And to mind your own business. That's kind of a funny thing. Make it your ambition. You think, well, that's to run through a brick wall or to, you know, tackle a grizzly. or No, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and to mind your own business. To be productive. To, to, to lead a quiet life can be translated um, to be peaceable. To make little noise. I think it means making your ambition to give a good report. And to not entertain accusations against people in part. A few weeks ago, something happened. There was a rumor that was circulating, and one of our deacons heard about it, and he called me, and he said, I heard this rumor. I don't believe it. I said, it's not true. He said, well, I want you to know that I talked to this person about it and asked him not to say anything, and I make a pledge to you that I will say nothing about this to anybody else. It's a done deal for me. I said, that's a godly man. That's a godly man. He doesn't spread rumors. He, he calls and he says, how can we pray? Is it true? What do we do? I said, it's not true. Good. It's over. I read Psalm 133 this week, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. Thanks be to God. It's like precious oil poured on the head and running down the beard, running down Aaron's beard, down his collar and his robes. And in in this day, oil was a sign of greeting and blessing and honor. He says, for there the Lord bestows his blessing. Where, where Where does God's blessing fall? It falls when people are united under the reality of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they're going forward. 
You want your family to be blessed? March under the banner of Jesus. You want your marriage to be blessed? Live to the glory of God. You want our church to be blessed? By the power of the Holy Spirit, walk under the authority of the Word of God. Make your ambition to lead a a quiet life. And, and, And to mind your own business. Just do the right thing. See, to me, this talks about fear versus faith. To to me, the opposite of faith is not unbelief, necessarily. The opposite for for believers of of a life of faith is a life of fear, is my opinion. Which means you don't trust God. You don't trust the Father. So I love this little passage. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus says, Do not fear the one who can kill your body. Rather, fear the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Now, I think fear there is reverence, stand in awe of, not, not being, but be in awe of this one who is God. And then he says this. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? He says, and not one of them can fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs upon your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, for you are of more value than many sparrows. I just love that. You go, go through the New Testament, the Gospels, and just think about the times that are said, fear not. Fear not. Why the angels say to the shepherds, fear not. So, so, so to me, this, this whole issue of being a quiet person, not making noise, not being arrogant or loud, uh, about minding your own business, uh, about, about working with your hands, having a trade, ha- having a livelihood so you can share with those who are in need and so you can be a witness to the community of the saving grace of Christ and how to live with a productive lifestyle. All of this centers around the glory of God, the goodness of God. And I need to hear my own experience. Fear not, therefore. You are more valuable than a bunch of birds or spotted owls. You are. Because your Heavenly Father loves you. Therefore, the cross frees you up to love and to give and to care and to give outside of yourself. Your time is gone. Let me pray. Lord, uh, under, uh, under your authority, we pray that the strong reality of Christ would allow us to love people more and more and more. Um, I pray that we would make it uh, our ambition, our stated goal, our desire, 
to not call attention to ourselves, to lead a quiet life that is filled with dignity and trust and hope and confidence because you're God. I pray that we'd mind our own business, that instead of spreading rumors, we would spread good reports. And I I pray that, Lord, we'd be productive in our lifestyle so that the watching world would, would know that we're men and women who walk with dignity before you. I pray that we would not be Jerry Springerized in this culture or Rush Limbaughized by negativity, but that we'd be people who speak the truth in love, but do so with diligence and love and grace. So God, give us, give us the mind of Christ, I pray. I pray that the word of God would be in us and that you, Holy Spirit, would not let us off the hook. That where unforgiveness reigns, you would make us forgiving. That where pride reigns, you would make us humble. That where envy reigns, you would make us glad-hearted. That where impurity and lust is creeping, you would bring the purity of Jesus because we need you desperately, Lord. But don't let us off the hook. Thank you that the Word of God is living and active and sharp and a double-edged sword, and it pierces to the division of the soul and the spirit of the joints and the marrow, and it's able to judge the thoughts and the intentions and the inclinations and the ruminations of the heart. Thank you for that. So we praise you. We thank you for this day. You are good. We pray that our fathers would be men of integrity and courage and brokenness, that the men would lead as servant leaders, that the men of this church would lead with wash basins and towels like their Savior did on the night he was betrayed. And that would be beautiful to you and an offering to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.